It is mind-blowing. And heartbreaking. How many original scripts are written every year but are never made? So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! Hey, welcome to Unstable Topics, a fast-paced, jam-packed, unhinged, bestie podcast filled with facts, reacts, and made-up games in between. We're your hosts, Sarah and Maggie, and we're excited for you to join our best friend hangout, where we surprise one another with things we find interesting or hilarious just to see how the other will react. Our friendship might be totally stable, but you never know what your bestie might throw your way to knock you off your game. So come shake things up, learn something new, and laugh along with us. This is Unstable Topics. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. Welcome to another episode of Horror Movie Night. This is the How Did It Take Us This Long edition. <laughs> and we are talking about Event Horizon. Scott, I think we all considered picking this for many, many years. We even did it as one of our old school, like, hey, let's watch movies for 12 hours on Twitch live streams. Specifically, the one where Brian was almost dead asleep because of some airplane issues. Oh, man. I absolutely forgot. Because, like, Megan, I was like... Megan, we watched Event Horizon. She was like, which one is that? And I'm like, oh, it's Hell in Space. And, and you know, Sam Neill and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I guess I remember that. And I said, yeah, it's really good for the first hour. I actually forgot that we watched that in that live stream when you, Brian was here. But you know why you forgot that we watched that during the live stream? That was the movie that was on when we went outside to take the photos. Oh, okay. I don't feel so stupid. I'm going to put this out there. Obviously, I don't think we can do it in time for episode 350 because that is quickly approaching. But I think this summer, it's time for for us to, if we're not going to do a ton of convention still, maybe it's time for us to all converge to one location for a live stream event or something. I would love that. I think that'd be fun. Absolutely. So the only thing I'm going to say about Event Horizon before I pass it over to Scott who (laughs) picked it is that this was also going to be on my list for more of the reason that this is the 25-year anniversary of Event Horizon. came out in 1997, and what a flop it was. I was shocked how badly this did in in its box office release, but classic cult, classic-type situation where it hit video stores, and the people who this movie was made for found it. The craziest thing about it failing was that, a direct quote, um, the film was a commercial and critical failure, grossing $42 million on a $60 production budget, which is, that's crazy. But 
the the craziest the other crazy thing for me is that Kurt Russell was in Paul W.S. Anderson's next movie after this and um he got to see an advanced copy of Event Horizon and he was like don't worry about how it does in the theaters because this is going to be a classic and yeah. and he was right i mean but the thing about this is that it was rushed like writing of it was rushed the production was rushed the editing was rushed that's why paul ws anderson lost like so he did a his original director's cut and it was too long. Apparently, it was like two hours or two hours and ten minutes yeah, or something. Two hours and ten minutes. Yeah, is what I yeah. Read. That's all. And well, I mean, I could have been. I would have been fine with that because, like, I think that it needed that. And I'll get to why in a minute here. But the studio hated that cut, and maybe like test audiences hated that cut. So he cut it down to an hour and thirty-two minutes. I mean, like something. It's it's really really short in my opinion for for all the high concept that you get out of it like that's a high concept sci-fi horror movie i mean like i think that it really it does the pacing is so good for the first hour and then it falls to shit when it becomes a slasher in space which is also the same problem that happened with sunshine which came out i don't know maybe a decade after this i think that this movie is such a great concept and it's so funny because every single time i've watched this movie and i think that this is only my third full watch of it because i watched it in 97 or 98 right when it hit vhs i rented it from the video store took it home because i knew all about the concept i was like mm-hmm. hell in space that's so my jam you know like i'm you know 14 years old and or whatever and i'm just like all about it and i'm into it i am so unnerved by the um visions of hell scene you know when they watch their the like the disc and then sam neil gets killed and becomes literally jason x and i remember in my innocence being like why did this movie stop being good in that last half hour and as an adult i'm like oh it's because they i feel like somebody or some some panel of people at the studio were like you know what this needs it needs more action i think i read four different times between imdb and wiki that the gore was so uncomfortably extreme and that people fainted during test screenings by how graphic it was that that was all of the first stuff to go yeah so i feel like you're right it was probably it was building up to something that we never fully get in the end so we're just getting like the the bits and pieces and i mean honestly in a weird way like you said add more action but i think like what is a horror movie without its goring kills but an action i don't agree with that if you think about like even a friday 13th movie right Mm -hmm. if you made a friday 13th movie where you never see the gore and you never actually see the kill you just kind of do the quick cutaway i think that movie's going to look way more like the traditional action movie looks where it's all about Fair. the build up to the violence than the actual delivery of the violence. Sure. Whereas like that's like what separates horror from so many other genres is that you get that delivery of the violence. I want to talk about Paul W.S. Anderson for a second because dude's career, I want to say it's a sad one, but it's an interesting one to me. So he makes Mortal Kombat, becomes like the golden boy, right? Like Mortal Kombat does gangbusters. They want him to do the X-Men movies. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. So they offer him all this stuff, but he wanted... To, he said he wanted to like not be pigeonheld as like a PG-13 mm-hmm. action director. He wanted to do a hard R horror movie. That was something that was important to him. right? So he makes Event Horizon, and the movie with Kurt Russell he was making was Soldier, yes, thank which you. 
interesting thing about Soldier is that it's a Blade Runner sequel. Most what? people don't know that, I, I, but it is to me. it is low. Jonathan London tipped me off on that, and there's now a whole wiki page all the connections to Blade Runner. It was written as a Blade Runner sequel. Kurt Russell's character in that movie is a replicant, basically. Oh, okay. But those movies both fucking tank, right? Yeah. So it's another four years before he directs something again, and it's Resident Evil. So they bring him back for another video game (laughs) movie. They're like, all right, let's give this guy a video game movie. That movie does well. He does Aliens versus Predator. And then the rest of his career is really strange to me because I'm looking at it and it's a bunch of movies that I vaguely remember. But I feel like despite the fact that the wiki says that these movies did amazing in the box office, I would be hard pressed to find any human being that would say, yes, I remember seeing that movie in theaters. (laughs) But Every single one of them is followed by another Resident That's Evil movie. That's because, Matt, Almost, you, you're forgetting about the Chinese market. Resident Evil That's is true. huge because, in Asia. Well, because what I was going to say is that it's like, this movie bombed, so then he had to do a Resident Evil movie to get a win, <laughs> and then did another movie that bombed, and he had to do a Resident Evil movie to get a win. But all three of the movies that I thought bombed did double their box office, and it was the Death Race remake with um, Jason Statham, mm-hmm. yeah. the the Three Musketeers movie from 2011, oh, God, that and Pompeii awful. from 2014. It's, it's the Asian market, This is the dude. best Paul W.S. Anderson movie Jesus. by by a mile, but... Like, well, it's also because Philip Eisner is name, the name of the guy who wrote, or he pitched and then wrote the treatment for Event Horizon, and mm-hmm. he hasn't done as much. He definitely, I mean, like, it's, because I, w- I checked out uh, Paul W.S. Anderson's IMDb, and, you know, it's very interesting how your reaction was compared to mine, because mine was like, dang, he must really like working with Mila Jovovich. And then I'm like, oh, they're married. Oh, they're married. <laughs> <laughs> but then Philip Eisner, I, I read it, I read his um, IMDb, and it's very sparse. This is, this is Philip Eisner's elevator pitch for Event Horizon. The Shining in Space, which is not bad. Yeah. I mean, like, I think that it really, it, it it got a lot of treatments beyond his original draft, I'm sure, because mm-hmm. the the stuff that really makes it rich and awesome to me is, I'll do it in, like, the levels of how awesome I think they are, starting with the most awesome. and The levels of hell. Well, I, in reverse. So if you're, like, right. ascending from hell. So right. yes. the thing that I think I'm is the up. coolest about this movie that I just found out in reading about it to prepare for this episode is that the quote-unquote visions of hell were inspired by Hieronymus Bosch, which is, you know, like the Garden of Earthly Delights. That's super weird. I want to say it's 16th century. He's a, he's a Renaissance painter, and he did all these, like, hell landscapes, and, and they're, like, triptychs and things like that. And one of really? my favorite painters from the Renaissance because it's just so dark. But in that time, you could only do religious stuff. And so right. he was doing these paintings of hell because he was, you know, like he's like, I want to, I want to paint dark shit. And there are a lot of people with like no heads but faces in their chests, and and you know, people being tortured by animals and all this, and so so good. So that that is the thing that I found the most interesting. But then the next thing I thought was super cool was that this is also inspired by Warhammer. Yep, I saw that. That's dope. Yeah, yes. Yeah, <laughs> well, so specifically weird. Warhammer four forty thousand. Yeah. yeah. The the space version of Warhammer because Warhammer traditionally is more of like a D and D type game. It's high fantasy. This and and Warhammer forty k is like. 
you know, it's it's the sci-fi version. And I was shocked because I had no idea that Warhammer predated Event Horizon, you know, because that oh, was, yeah. you know, I, I remember people <laughs> playing 40K. Like, I remember the little figures and stuff like that. And, and it just felt like that was a high school thing for me, not a would have would have ostensibly been an elementary thing for me to to and take to to inspire this film but then the other thing i loved was that they originally had the the gateway drive be like this giant smooth featureless black orb then paul ws anderson he wanted he was like no no let me redesign it um to have interlocking circles it's supposed to be the puzzle box from hellraiser which yep. is wild. That's awesome. And then also the last and most obscure thing I found out about this inspiration-wise is that they literally took a sound from Doom, the video game, and used it <laughs> as the sound when doors open in it. It's the sound when doors open in, in the, the original video game. Oh, my God. Isn't that wild? Yeah, no, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is because my stepdad used to play Doom all the time <laughs> and I was enamored with it. But like I but I was also a child. Like I yeah. don't know. But no, dude, that's that's crazy. Of course, my just more like more video game inspiration from Paul W.S. Anderson yeah. to to you include away on from any it. of this. Yeah. No. No, no. Oh my god, that's crazy. So, so the other thing that I do think is interesting is that, uh, and I'm sure Scott found this on his research too, but that the original draft, as we were talking about, it's the shining in space, but it had a lot more of an alien creature in it. And that was like the biggest thing that Paul Anderson said was, he's like, I don't want to just do a mimic movie of alien. Right. Like, well, let's the, do something that different. Been really, in my opinion, that would have taken all the spice out of the film. And the thing is that I, I think that it being... Not the, I mean, when you think about it as The Shining in space, that's a haunted house movie in space. Yeah. And that's why when Sam Neill's character is now possessed by the hell dimension after he's cut his eyes out and he is like, the ship came back and she's changed. I really like that idea of it being a haunted house. And we don't need an antagonist like Jack. Because Sam Neill is basically Jack Torrance coming after the protagonists. I think that that works on The Shining because that's kind of the whole point of the film and in the book as well. But in this, I like the idea of it being like a a presence and not directed into a possession. Because I really think that that takes away a lot. And haunted house movies rely on that too much, in my opinion. Like, when that when someone becomes possessed in a haunted house movie, I almost always check out. It takes yeah. a very special movie like The Conjuring for it to work. Well, I think that's a great point because you're talking about the occupants of the house or of the spaceship in this instance not being possessed but having to face a certain fear of where they are, right? Yeah. Like, So a lot of these characters are facing baseline, the isolation of space, having yeah. to fly past fucking neptune yeah which if i were to if i were to ever fly in space which i wouldn't i would say no but if i were to <laughs> have to do so i would ask not to go past jupiter i yeah. think i think that that planet's too fucking big to like uh, just agreeably go past it but like your fate your each and each of these characters like there's a brief there's probably brief moments throughout one character the the mama bear character yeah with probably the the most extensive sort of like this is your past and this is what you're missing 
at home arc, right? But each of but those characters they're has all dead, that. right? Like her son's dead. I didn't register that her son was dead. I so, registered that those were like as if we had our phone in space and we're looking through pictures yeah, to be like, well, oh, I, I miss my what son. What I'm but seeing is I see what you. I see. I'm, I'm thinking that, and this is just in this most recent watch. I think that the implication is that everyone who sees someone on the event horizon is seeing someone that died and they feel guilt about the death. Mm. Like they feel directly responsible for it because Samuel's wife committed suicide and he was like, I miss you so much and I wish I could have fixed it. Lawrence Fishburne's Mm -hmm. character let somebody on his platoon or whatever burn to death. And so no, you're, I, dude, oh, you're absolutely right. I didn't, I didn't I'm read de- it that way, but that makes a I, lot of sense. I didn't read yeah. it that way until this time. So yeah. I think that it's it's left up to interpretation. But that's, mm-hmm. I think that that's what the ship is doing is basically instead of showing you your fear, it's showing you your guilt, which I think is such a great take on what hell would be, because right. it's not a right. scary place; it's a painful place, and the yeah. pain yeah. of grief and guilt are so i mean like that's also my catholic upbringing you know like guilt is so right. important to like the the religion so it's like the guilt of a survivor's guilt is what it is is like all these people in my opinion are, are feeling survivor's guilt in in yeah. the event horizon wow. and then the and you know i i think that it would be better if each one of them saw something but we have characters that don't get fleshed out like that um and that's okay i mean it, but i feel like it also works when the guy saves baby bear from the dimension he pulls him back through the gateway he feels guilt because he feels like he couldn't save his buddy but i i think that if they had kind of gone with the original concept without having there be a possessed character like sam neil to chase him around the ship we could have gotten a more rich, like a richer backstory for everybody. So let yeah. me defend. I, I'm not necessarily going to defend the idea of Sam Neill becoming the big bad of this movie. But what I will defend is that it makes sense as a character beat. Because the more that Sam Neill spoke about the event horizon throughout this movie, the more I thought... Sam Neill wants to fuck this ship. <laughs> Literally, my only notes that I wrote down besides bad CGI, and I think it was during the one explosion where, like, oh, yeah. the first explosion where it's just, like, yeah. pieces of ship, and it is it is rough CGI. And well, so the crazy thing is that they spent a third of the budget on the first time you see the event horizon. When you see it in front of... When they're doing the 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 backstory you know like at the beginning when you see the event horizon in front of earth that's one third of the fucking budget of this movie and then they were like they they were just totally gassed and they were like well i guess we gotta make the rest of this movie with you know two-thirds of the budget um so it that part looks good but then when you really the part that bothered me more is that when you see the lewis and clark going up towards the event horizon when they get outside neptune i'm like this just looks bad and i remember it not looking good in 97 or 98 when i first saw this movie because you know i feel like we rose tint cgi in the past but you we also forget that jurassic park came out in what 96 93 93 oh this my god five years yeah. removed from jurassic park yeah. in the hands of the people using it is how good or bad it's going to be i want to i want to bounce off of what you were just saying the the seeing of that ship was one third of the budget 
which this is a $60 million budget movie that makes that $20 million. The bigger Oof. thing about that number is that Kyle could have made 40 movies. <laughs> yeah, please, please give me a third of Event Horizon's budget <laughs> like, for the love of God. Like that single shot is more movies than Kyle has time on this earth to make. Those could have been our mummy movies. We could have yeah. made a franchise of mummy movies, a horror <laughs> well, movie night mummy You know what movies. I want to do is I want to do that mummy movie. And I horror still, mummy I, night. I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would love to do a cosmic horror movie as well because the that's what is so good about the beginning of this movie. The first yes. hour is that it's, it's smart cosmic. sci-fi, dude. It, it, it's, it's, it's also good, it's basically sci-fi. like Lovecraft in space. And that yes. is my shit. You know, like, yes. give me some jargon. Give me some elder gods. Yeah, and there's some emotion in that, too. There's some actual dense yeah. fear and anxiety about your existence. Yeah. Like, that's what, like, really got me. There's moments of that that are like, oh, like, I exist, but I exist so far removed from where I existed like yeah. I, like do i even exist like it's just it's crazy questions i would totally kill myself i would blow my shit up if i was going to go to a hell dimension and live for eternity in pain and and guilt and nobody would know they would just yeah. they would just think that you were lost on the event horizon like seven years prior like like everybody else did like yeah. the whole you know, world thought you did, like yeah was. so that's something else that i that i really appreciate and this is what i'm going to say about this being smart sci-fi and i think that it's also what like i am not the biggest star trek fan like it is not my shit mm-hmm. at all but i appreciate that it is smart sci-fi what i like about Event Horizon that I never thought about until this viewing is the fact that when he says we're going to get the Event Horizon, they actually fucking know what it is, right? Like they don't have to have it explained to them. Mm-hmm. And I know that that seems stupid to to point out as like a smart thing, but it's like how many fucking horror movies or sci-fi movies oh, yeah. or anything has characters had to be explained something that should have been the biggest known news. Yeah. That makes sense to me that it's like, oh, yeah, like if a thing just vanished, mm-hmm. everybody would know about that. You right. wouldn't have to have any exposition. It was the most ex- it was it. the biggest disaster space disaster too, is what it said in the yeah. in the, the, the exposition right. at the beginning. Right. Yeah. So and so and like we wouldn't even even I, I don't even think you would have needed that exposition in the title if they just reacted that way. But because yeah. it's such an uncommon choice, I'm sure that the studio was like in ninety seven their yeah, exposition like, world building was in its baby baby like infancy right, like right. you know it's it's yeah. not no we were we were all dumb idiots watching movies yeah, like yeah, they yeah. needed to tell us what was happening and so this is going to be a weird comparison but they were rushing this movie because they wanted to get it out before titanic everyone right, knew that yeah. titanic was going to be massive right and i feel like the fact that titanic is is a thing in existence when they're making this movie is kind of important because again the titanic we're only like what two or three years removed from when they first finally found where the ship was, like fifty years after it happened, and it was huge news. So right. I'm wondering if that helped his case. Like, you know, like half the people who were even alive when this thing first sank don't li- are no longer living, mm. and it's still big news that we're discovering mm-hmm. this yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. So five years removed from when this shit disappeared, everybody would still know what it, what that it would was. definitely. I feel like that yeah. would definitely be a point in the column. Like if he had to defend it for sure, yeah. and it, it doesn't 
you know, it does feel like it comes with some caveats, but <laughs> I do. No, that's a great point. I do like that a lot because we just, I don't know. We just, we just trust that crew now. Like we don't yeah. have to be dumb. <laughs> oh yeah. The second that a character was like, what's the event horizon? All the credibility on that yeah. ship is gone. Nah. Well, it, but it's, <laughs> like, it's only strengthened because they see the the visions of hell video, and mm-hmm. Lawrence Fishburne hits stop and goes, "We're leaving." It's it's yeah. unintentionally hilarious, but also exactly what a real person would do. They'd be like, yes. "Fuck this, I'm yes. out," you know? Yeah, his character is so great because he does truly lead like a captain, right? Mm, yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I think that I have a problem with with spaceship movies. <laughs> Well, because Generally. the captain's always some evil asshole that's like doesn't care about his crew, and that is never the actual case in most military situations. Right, and this truly <laughs> feels like it's pitched like the American military would have a captain commander, and his crew follows such. You know what I mean? It's like this idealistic way of approaching it, and it works because it's also space. So yes. it's like nobody knows anything about I mean, even though in this time period they know some things about some things, we as an audience don't know anything about anything. So we also need that captain to be in charge to get us through what's happening here. Quick pitch. Yeah, let's talk beer real quick. One thing led to another. It's got a <laughs> spaceship going on here. It feels very uh, commander-in-chief on the event horizon from Beard uh, in Stonington. Love, um, love it. But all that to say, I think that like his... I was really impressed. I don't know if I had seen a Lawrence Fishburne movie. Like I didn't. I, mean, I didn't go Matrix. back and look through his. I never saw Matrix. Oh wow! Yeah, which puts me in a weird. <laughs> I don't know if I should you ever be watch Pee Wee's mille- Playhouse. <laughs> I don't know if I should be a white millennial male uh, in America having not seen Matrix, but I am there. You've seen Dream Warriors, right? Oh yeah. Okay. All right. So we're just that was uh, back when he was Larry Fishburne. That's not a huge part. Not for a huge him. No, and and like, he, but I thought I thought he I, he did really well, especially having two opposite Sam Neill um, at the top at this, of his game, top of his game, like you know, like and especially top of his horror adventure, like big name game, right? Like, that was so like talking Jurassic 1993. Park. He became a household name, mm-hmm. and then he just. Right was untouchable and i right. i am shocked that they got him for this and that it didn't do well <laughs> right right like and i feel like this could be not a downfall he didn't go anywhere per se but it's like oh uh he did his stint well, uh he did and then event horizon happened well but then matrix was two years later mm-hmm. and really i'm actually kind of shocked as i'm looking at his imdb credits i don't think i realized how much voice work he ended up doing instead of acting roles. Oh, that's if you can right. do that. Oh, if you can do that, do the fucking, you know, like go the VO, like do cartoons, yeah. do all that. Right. There's more than you would think for him being a voice, like a voiceover character is what I'll say. It is mind blowing and heartbreaking. How many original scripts are written every year, but are never made. So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! Hey, welcome to Unstable Topics, a fast-paced, jam-packed, unhinged, bestie podcast filled with facts, reacts, and made-up games in between. We're your hosts, Sarah and Maggie. 
and we're excited for you to join our best friend hangout, where we surprise one another with things we find interesting or hilarious just to see how the other will react. Our friendship might be totally stable, but you never know what your bestie might throw your way to knock you off your game. So come shake things up, learn something new, and laugh along with us. This is Unstable Topics. Each week on the One Hit Thunder podcast, we welcome a special guest to come take a deep dive into a One Hit Wonder artist with us. And together, we decide if that artist brought the One Hit Thunder or was nothing more than a One Hit Blunder. You can find One Hit Thunder anywhere that you listen to podcasts. So hit that subscribe button and join in on the fun each week. Scott, it's 1997. You're walking into a video store. You're looking at the aisle. No, I'm not. Not, not in 1997, buddy. Okay, whatever year it is that you're looking in the video store. 2020, what video do you, what, what are you renting? I'm going from the height of the heavens to the depths of the sea. It's the same movie, just reskinned, underwater. And it's really funny that you were talking about Titanic because it's also underwater. But underwater with uh, Kristen Stewart is still one of my favorite recent horror movies. And if we're talking about cosmic horror, that's literally a Cthulhu movie. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, that is, I actually, you know, we have been talking about double features for seven years almost at this point. This is one that I feel like I would literally do. I feel like I could sit down and I, cause they're both very short. They're both, yep. I think that underwater is, 80 minutes it's yeah this is, is a three-hour experience easily no including problem. a piss break in the middle yeah and it would be so good i legit thought that scott was going to take my answer until the words underwater came out of his mouth not quite the exact same movie almost but for i know what you're going reason, for when i was thinking of end horizon i kept also thinking about Deep Rising. Yep. The Event Horizon Deep Rising double feature <laughs> just seems to write itself. Bad CGI. Yeah, no, that tracks. That tracks. <laughs> I, I, I think for me, I have a really rough toss-up because the concept of hell and how it... I, I don't know. It didn't It didn't totally hit home for me in Event Horizon the way I wanted it to. Sure. You know what I mean? This was my first viewing, so oh. I, was, I, I was pleasantly surprised. I, like, I really, really enjoyed it. But I also felt like the hellscape could have been emphasized a little bit more. So please uh, for, forgive me or allow me either way to do two. Sure, um, okay. One would be one would be Jacob's Ladder. If you were oh. feeling very oh, wow. like, if you feel like you needed to um, really dive into the psyche of what was happening with the Event Horizon crew, or or because I, I think that there's a there's a purgatory aspect. There's a real hellish fear and like that's where you live forever which i feel like was would be what happened if you were on the event horizon and you uh, succumb to that issue but the other one would be um hellraiser 2 uh because i think that julia and sam neil's characters are so yeah. close in yeah. that and you have a little bit more of a vision of at least in hellraiser 2 what that hell is like sure. um due to julia bringing those that's, souls into that's that also got to be our next hellraiser movie right like i can't think of any other the fact that's the that only one done hellbound no uh, yeah. wait no 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 no. have you all done hell world we haven't done hell world uh... we'll have a lot of fun with hell world should it ever be my choice anyway i i hellraiser 2 i think really 
focuses on that hellscape that Mm -hmm. hellraiser promises uh but doesn't deliver in any other movie depending on how you want to go after you watch event horizon or before you watch event horizon uh those would be my two all right scott what have you watched read whatever that you want to talk about now is if it's okay with you guys um i want to mention something that i'm in the process of reading and not read because it also dovetails with space so i think you guys both saw this status that i posted on facebook like a month ago and i was talking about aliens i was Mm -hmm. like you know i don't want to sound crazy but are aliens not from another planet but rather from another dimension and oh yes um so basically like demons or aliens or ghosts or demons or aliens um like it's all you know tied together and hauntings are basically the same thing as um alien abductions etc um and our good friend eli commented and said you need to read the mothman prophecies and i and um i was like oh okay i mean i knew i've seen the movie and i was like he he messaged me and was like I, I'm not kidding. You really need to watch. You really need to read Mothman prophecies. I'm like, it's like fiction, right? And he was like, No, it's a journalist interviewing people that have experienced the Mothman. Um, and it is, I okay. So I found this website that I, of course, can't remember off the top of my head right now. But it's there are like two hundred thousand PDF versions of books out there. And I found this copy of Mothman Prophecies, and I started reading it, and it is a mind bender. I am loving it because it's got like aliens, science fiction, um, you know, kind of like cosmic horror. It's got time travel. It's got cryptids. It's just a ball of wax, and it is a lot of fun. That's amazing. My grandma got me Mothman Prophecies the book for my birthday and i just put it on the shelf and i was like okay let's grandma, read it together you. let's start a book club oh, we're starting horror movie night book club there we go <laughs> honestly I, that would be fun spitball in this guys comment below but like would you if it was part of the patreon that you did like a book club with the hosts of the podcast would that be something like incentive and we to, could like, make it we, uh, if it would only be things that i could find on that pdf site like yeah. it will be free for yeah, you. We'll I mean, you're, obviously, you're paying for the Patreon, but you wouldn't be the, paying on top of that. Yeah, right. that's that's out there in the ether. If you guys are, are that'd be a lot of fun. fun. I'd like. I need to read more. Like, yeah. I, I yeah. feel like my my brain has atrophied over the last two years of me not reading as much. You donate whatever our lowest thing is. That would be entry into this book. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let us know. Comment on Facebook or or send us an email at hmnpodcast at gmail So I want to talk about two documentaries that I watched. Both were delightful. Both had a very interesting premise. I'm going to start with the easier one to explain. And that is a, a wrestle. It's sort of a wrestling documentary. It's a doc that's on Hulu called you cannot kill David Arquette about David Arquette's attempt at getting back into professional wrestling oh. uh, about two years ago. It is a very well-made doc. Uh, it captures a lot of, very sad things. It captures a lot of funny things. And you really, it, it both gives you an appreciation for David Arquette and it gives you a, an appreciation for what goes into when you make the decision to be a full time professional wrestler, 
what are you actually doing to your body and what are you doing yeah. to your life essentially but it's also great because at the same time he gets fucking shredded like <laughs> when you see him in the beginning of this movie he is like the most dad bod of dad bods david arquette and by the time he's doing these matches he is just like jacked like like multiple ab jacked because he's training with ddp who's like forcing him to work the fuck out that's a quick recommend there netflix i've heard about this documentary for a while it got added back on to the site recently it's called beth tubs over broadway have either of you ever heard or seen of this no okay so this one's a little bit harder to explain but i'll try my best um, so it starts at the David Letterman show, Late Night with David Letterman. David Letterman used to do a segment called Dave's Record Collection, where he would show a weird record and they would make a couple jokes about it and maybe play a song. So his head writer, his, the longest lasting writer for David Letterman, he's been there since the very beginning. One of his jobs was to travel around New York and go to record shops and find weird records for this segment. So while he was doing that, he finds a record called The Bathrooms Are Coming. And he was like, all right, this seems like this fits the bill. So he buys it, and immediately he's looking at the record, and it says, like, gift only, do not sell, like, not for public consumption. And he puts the record on out of curiosity, and it's literally a full-blown Broadway-style musical about how to sell bathroom supplies. And he starts trying to learn more information about it. And basically in the 60s and 70s, during that Mad Men business sales era, when they would do these these yearly sales conventions, they would pay millions of dollars for actual Broadway performers to write, record, and perform a one-night-only Broadway show for the sales team about the company that they work for. And then with some of those things, they would give them like a complimentary yeah. soundtrack album. Yeah, but then we as have those some people, of those. Yeah, as those people died, their families didn't know what the fuck these records were and just sold them to record stores. So now like amongst the record collecting community, they're like a hot commodity yeah. because there's only a very finite amount of them. So it's basically about how this writer from David Letterman became obsessed with trying to own every single one of them, but also like really cares about preserving them and like became friends with the writers of the songs, became friends with some of the actors and actresses in the song. So it's him interviewing them about like what their experiences were back in the day doing this stuff. And apparently now in like New York, like once a month, he puts on a show where like he brings up these singers and they like play acoustic renditions of the songs from the shows mm -hmm. and like sign albums for people and stuff. It reminded me a little bit of like best worst movie where you're kind of watching a movie about somebody who thought that they made a very disposable thing that no one would care about. And like finding out that there's like this gigantic audience. Well, not gigantic, but that there's a very specific Dedicated. audience that loves and cares about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and that's another, it's like an hour and 20 minutes on Netflix. It's a quick, easy watch. Some of the songs are fucking catchy as hell. Yeah. So like I've heard some of them. I, I yeah. can't remember if this was a podcast. Bizarre albums talks about it a lot. Okay. That's yeah, how I, I heard about the documentary. About yeah. <laughs> yeah. That rules. Yeah. That oh, it's amazing. great. It's such a fun little documentary. Uh, all right, Kyle, you are the last one, buddy. Okay. So this, this sort of dovetails a little bit because uh, I went to a store called the archive 
in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Oh, vin- I know that place. <laughs> it's Vinegar Syndrome's headquarters. They have obviously all of Vinegar Syndrome catalog uh, for what's available. They also have all their partner labels. They have an amazing used Blu-ray, DVD selection, posters, novels. They have every- They have everything. It's an incredible spot. If you're ever in Connecticut, because you can get to anywhere in Connecticut <laughs> in, in an, hour. an hour, hour and a half. Okay, yeah. so just like just think about that. Um- <laughs> <laughs> and yet you still get to have two senators. Fucked yeah, up. thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, but they also have, uh, and they just renovated. So upstairs they have an amazing selection of records. And in the basement, they have a shit selection of records, but they also have an amazing selection of VHS tapes. Um, And so my wife, my son, my best friend Jeanette and I went over the weekend and we bought a couple things here and there. But one of the main things that we bought and which we collect often are VHS tapes of what we consider Christian cringe uh so bible man was a big one in our house we know about There's this a... because of stephen bay from analog jones analog and jones. the temple of he loves collecting also the same stuff. bible man yeah fantastic so bible man gingerbrook fair and some mcgee stumbled... and me in there so, <laughs> we don't have any mcgee and me yet but we came across a movie called the buttercream gang oh i i've heard had of that vhs tape my mom ordered it in the mail for us one time. I don't think I ever watched it though. <laughs> oh, the fucking smile. Makes... Oh god. Kyle, you're okay, incredible. so uh, it's a, it, it, the Buttercream Gang was a, uh, a movie made by or distributed. I don't know if it was distributed or produced by, but let's just say distributed because there was a distribution company run by the Mormon uh, LDS Church called feature films for families they released a few like adaptations of folk tales uh but they've also released sort of some of some of their own original stories and this is a this is a movie you can find it on youtube you don't need to like find the vhs tape anywhere so i'm not (laughs) talking about something that you can't find uh though that would be very kyle of me uh, to do the piece of shit that i it could be sometimes um (laughs) it's it's a movie about a a gang obviously filmed in utah that is not a gang as you would hear about in your dare program in elementary school it's a gang that according to the back cover of the vhs like helps women churn their butter but in actuality that does not help it does that does not happen can i read the one sentence review that came up for google yeah our description it just says a gang of do-gooders refuse to give up on a friend who falls in with the bad crowd. Yes, yes, yes. And the bad crowd and the bad crowd in this movie uh, is blatantly pitched to be a Hispanic gang out of Chicago. Hispanic is emphasized so much so that the gang member who moves from the buttercream gang, the do-gooders, to Chicago for I don't know how long, a couple months, joins a gang. The paper reads local Hispanic gang does bad or something. He wears a collared shirt with just the top button. button Oh, my God. And he changes his last name to Valdez, which is his mom's maiden name. So, like, they're really like it's fucking racist. It's also the whitest movie I've ever seen. And so, like, I, I don't know. I don't want to go off too much because I will. Um, so I'd like to just say if you are interested in the way that 
and it's not even Christian cringe. I mean, we're talking Mormonism. We're talking like an actual Christian sect. So we're talking a couple steps in a different, Very like the, 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 fa- the family tree of Christianity is a little, it's, it's a branch over here. Right. So like, we're talking a very specific branch of it. Sure. However, there's a lot of um, overlap. And if you're interested in uh, religious family content that is not yours, <laughs> I would highly recommend watching it. It did feel like I was in a portal to another dimension. And I was like, Oh, there's literally families that only watch films like this. Yeah. Like there are, there are, there are families and groups of people that do not watch any other. Uh, they thing. also homeschool their fucking kids. They also, exactly. And all the, all the, uh, the whole gang uh, were little chunky white kids. And it's so funny. Cause there's a whole segment of them playing baseball. And it's like, not to like, objectify these kids but it's like they are just chunky pasty white kids and they put them in the baseball uniforms for like two three four scenes and it's just like i I don't know like not that you can't be chunky and do your thing but it's like it feels like it's like it feels almost exploitative how much they focus on their chunk Listen, they're, like, the, they're the good American kids. They got to play the all American sports. Oh, the um, Red Sox versus the Braves is the baseball game. We watch oh, the baseball game. Don't Jesus you worry. There's Christ. a whole fucking scene. God. It's, yeah, I watch that. I watch that. I'll go off. It, it, it's it's really it's really terrible. But if but it's also a portal. It's a complete portal into a a environment of which I am not familiar, and it really reads like oh my god, this is all the content that that age child would have watched if they were in that group in that family like if they were in that religion that's what they would watch and it's just it's just mind-boggling once you when you like take that and realize the ripple effect of it you're like oh this is insanity you know listeners there's a little bit of everything for you here we got a real in the weeds discussion about event horizon for a solid 30 minutes and then Stephen bay we just did like a little special segment just for you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so uh, we'll be back with more horror movie night in just a week. Don't worry. Just hold tight. We'll be there soon. And you know what? I want to put this out into the ether. I mentioned it already once before. HMNpodcast at gmail.com. I'm thinking, even though our episodes are getting way longer than they ever used to be, I think that we could get them maybe five, ten minutes longer. I want us to read an email from a listener, if we can, once a week. But in order to do that, we need an influx of emails. So if you've ever had a thought about a show, you want to make a joke about us, you have a question, whatever it is, hmmpodcast at gmail.com. We're just going to go through there. The ones that make me laugh or the ones that are interesting, quick little discussions. We'll do one email, an episode. We'll start that after episode 350. We'll get through the next couple episodes. But hey, give us your hot takes, your thoughts, whatever. We'll discuss it. We'll discuss it. Unless we think it's trash, then we just won't read it at all. But <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, you got to step it up a little bit. But all right, and don't don't send us your movie recommendations. We don't want your movie recommendations. We'll tell you when it's time for those. I have a to be list full of them. I don't <laughs> yeah. need your shit. Uh, but we'll be back with more horror movie night next week. Bye. You 
You're listening to the Geekscape Network. It is mind-blowing. And heartbreaking. How many original scripts are written every year but are never made? So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! Hey, welcome to Unstable Topics, a fast-paced, jam-packed, unhinged, bestie podcast filled with facts, reacts, and made-up games in between. We're your hosts, Sarah and Maggie, and we're excited for you to join our best friend hangout, where we surprise one another with things we find interesting or hilarious just to see how the other will react. Our friendship might be totally stable, but you never know what your bestie might throw your way to knock you off your game. So come shake things up, learn something new, and laugh along with us. This is Unstable Topics. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 